0: Hey everyone, it's Chris Platy here before today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk, where Philip Rossman Rake rejoins the podcast to discuss the last episodes of the MJ Doc, episodes 7 and 8, while also getting into the coronavirus and the NBA seeming to be within a couple weeks to a month away from a decision on the regular season. Uh, also, we get a little bit of 04 piston talk in there to start the podcast, which is always a, always a soft spot for me when it comes to when it comes to conversations. Now, as far as housekeeping goes, um, follow me on all of the socials if you don't already. Mainly Twitter and Instagram at Real Chris C H R I S P L A T T E. I know you know how it's spell Real. And next up, uh, just be on the lookout for the podcast I got dropping. So I will have a coronavirus podcast uh, on the hip hop side, you know, kind of doing what we're doing here on this on this part of the, uh, the NBA podcast, bringing it over to the hip hop side and how coronavirus has impacted the music industry thus far and where the music industry goes to and shifts from here. And last but not least, I will also be dropping a 2010's Madness Bracket podcast where me and a special guest, very special guest, first-time guest, uh, get together and we fill out a consensus bracket. Um, So please, in the meantime, if you have been filling out the brackets, send them to me. I want to post them. I want to look at them. I love seeing everybody's different opinions and really just kind of seeing where everybody's uh where everybody's thoughts are at on all of these albums it was a very fun bracket to make shout out john adams the graphic designer for all four of the brackets you got this month which were uh kendrick cole drake and now the 2010s madness bracket you can see all of them on my instagram or on my twitter uh just at real chris platty and check out john adams uh twitter and instagram it's at j underscore n adams and um check him out and hit him up for work because he does excellent excellent work as you can see by these graphics so without further ado let's get into today's episode phil Rossman rake joins me to tr- talk oh four pistons surprisingly um the mj documentaries episode seven and eight and of course the coronavirus and you know what's what's next with the nba as we as we approach this decision making period for the nba Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platy, returning to the podcast for the sequel to the last Strictly Hoop Talk before things went haywire is my name is my guy, Philip Rossman. Ray, how you doing, Philip?
1: I am doing good. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Despite our lengthy, uh, deep discussion that we had a little bit before, before we got on air here. Um, what have you been, what have you been doing really to keep yourself kind of entertained? I like to ask this to everybody during this Uh, time.
1: I, I I will admit that I am playing a lot more NBA 2k than I do. Like hour, hour long sessions become two hour long sessions or Mm -hmm. two and a half hour long sessions. I want to get that last game in. Um, I, I I'm I'm definitely jonesing for some basketball. That is that is for sure. Um, you know, luckily, you know the uh, Fox Sports Florida here in Orlando has been airing classic Magic games, so I've kind of been diving back into some classic teams that I haven't watched in a long time. I, I mean, the, they just aired uh, a a bunch of games from the 1995 playoffs, which you know I haven't really sat down and watched in any detail or any kind of intensity since I was six or seven years old. Um, so it's been fun kind of revisiting some of those teams and, 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 you know, experiencing that joy and, and, and watching those teams play They're They're kind of, they're starting to work through the 2009 finals run, which uh, is again, a lot of fun to revisit too. So oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's been a lot of searching for basketball where I can find it. <laughs> um, I'm I'm happy that NBA TV is playing classic games too. I, 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 obviously I've been enjoying the last dance, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit, yep. in a bit. Um, but it's, it's, it's been a lot of searching for, Searching for that comfort uh, of, of a bouncing bouncing orange ball.
0: Yeah, man. I, yeah, man. Really, same here. Because you know what? I was watching the Pistons Bad Boys and the Pistons um, 04. So Fox Sports Detroit was doing the same thing, you know, just highlighting, highlighting the high points. And, you know, what was really funny was I had forgotten that at the time, Doc Rivers was a commentator for ABC during the NBA Finals. And Doc Rivers had this quote and and it paused me and I had to DVR it so that I could so that I could put it on Snapchat and Instagram because it was it was probably the uh, worst age take I've ever heard. He was <laughs> he was playing. It was game four. It was garbage time. The Pistons were smacking the Lakers at this point or no game three. And um, and, and so Darko comes in right Darko checks in and this guy darko is you know he's not doing anything he's moving around uh whatever and he gets the ball on the little block and doc Rivers starts talking about him he's like look i know lebron james is great i know carmel anthony is great i know Dwayne wade is great but i'm telling you this guy darko he's the one he's going to be special <laughs> and That's, it just that look, that is that, that really bad <laughs> as
1: as as a magic fan I suffer no Darko slander. Magic Darko is one of my favorite players. I, I, I really appreciate it. I him. forgot
0: um, about Magic Darko. Magic,
1: Magic Darko. Magic Darko could play, and you know, I, I say this about a lot of a lot of guys, like draft position where you end up in the draft matters so much. The great players oh, are yeah. going to be great, no matter where. but but I, I I do think Darko was was not served by being in Detroit. Um, honestly, like I would say I mean I, I'd be curious what you think about this. You know, Larry Brown is, is such a different and demanding coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Carmelo Anthony would have found his way onto the floor somehow, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think Carmelo Anthony would have been given the same opportunities to kind of flourish that that he was in Denver. And honestly, I don't know if the Pistons win a title if Carmelo Anthony is their rookie. So, I mean, I think just, I, I don't, I, I would say this, you know, the Pistons won their title. I, I think they made the right choice drafting Darko. Maybe, you know, Chris Bosh might have been able to help them a little bit more, but a team with championship aspirations shouldn't be picking second. Um, and, and you know, maybe Darko just didn't have the mental makeup to be patient and develop and kind of learn from guys like Rasheed Wallace, guys like Ben Wallace, so that when it was mm-hmm. his turn, he would be able to take advantage of it. Uh, uh, there's just too much pressure on a number two pick to kind of sit and wait in the shadows. And, and I, I don't think Darko was necessarily ready for, uh, especially some of the stories that I heard about Darko, even in Orlando. I don't think he was ready necessarily uh, for kind of the intensity and the maturity that you need to 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 play in the NBA, especially when you're frustrated that you're not getting any playing time.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to get me to go against the 0-4 Pistons you know no that's no you that, shouldn't <laughs> that's something that that is very hard for me to take but you know what I think with Darko yeah it was a lot of from what I understand it was a lot of you know Darko um Darko you know feeling feeling like he didn't want to wait didn't have the patience and also you know he was a little bit into the partying style so I think that there was I think there was a good culture in Detroit. I don't think it was I don't think it was, you know, maybe maybe not San Antonio, but I think at that particular time the culture was good and I think Carmelo I think they do still win the championship in in 04 because you know what I don't think that Carmelo I I think w- coming into that situation was just so vastly different than Denver. That I really think that I really think that the command and the respect that 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 franchise had from the coach to the players like Chauncey Sheed Ben I I feel like I feel like it would have worked short term with Carmelo I don't know about long term I do think Carmelo always saw himself as what he was in the league and so I don't I I think yeah in 04, yeah you can get away with you know playing him with some of like Corliss Williams and Eldon Campbell's man because people forget that Corliss Williams was six man of the year that year yeah and he was a beast like I was, wa- dude. I was watching everyone, the playoffs. Everyone,
1: everyone forgets that Corliss Williamson was the was I'm pretty sure he was the best player on that Arkansas national championship team on the 40 minutes of hell team like he that that guy could play
0: yeah yeah he could definitely play I was actually watching when I was watching the finals Number one, what stood out was how ugly the game was. It was just yeah. so much defense and so much physicality, too. Like, a lot of it was straight up, like, just so much contact on the reach-ins and the, and the block attempts. So, like, I understood why there was a lot of air balls. And then then the other thing that stood out was, like, Corus Williams, because he was a small forward, but he had the size of, like, a power forward slash what would probably be today, like, a center. You know, you play him. He was guarded by Kobe. And so he would just post up and just bully Kobe. He did it like three plays in a row, back to back to back, just backed him down aggressively, forced him and just babied him for, for a easy for an easy hook shot. So it was just a totally different game then. But to get back to the Carmel point, I think I, I, I do think that short term it would have worked. I think Carmel would have been in a situation where he really didn't have a choice. And I think that Piston team was so focused that um that I don't think and again i don't know i don't know darko behind the scenes i don't know melo behind the scenes i don't know any of these players but from my speculation it just really seemed like that year was the, that team particular team was very locked in on what they were doing for sure so i think i think they would have gotten that year done but uh, again beyond that i don't know like i don't think it's this i don't think that the pistons are you know um it's what do you want to say like six finals in nine years or something like that like people are saying with with carmel i don't i don't see i don't see that
1: i mean and i think i think i mean like i i've watched it i mean nba tv aired a few of those pistons games too and i I caught a few of them and you know and i remember thinking of this this at the time like they were such a team like they they everyone could beat you it was it was you know really offense by committee and and, and, I mean, I think, you know, unless Carmelo Anthony really commits like he did during the Redeem team and, and the mm-hmm. Olympic teams when, you know, there's a lot of other alphas around him and, and he's yeah. content to be kind of that spot-up shooter and, and occasional driver, mm-hmm. unless he's committed to that role, which, you know, he very might have been in that in that situation. Yeah. And Larry Brown could have said, if, if you want to play, this is how you got to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I would say kind of to that point, too, like sort of like the Bulls, as we're discovering with Michael Jordan, you know, their, the Pistons culture was very much a hard hat culture. And, and mm-hmm. you know, Rasheed Wallace was a trash talker. You know, Ben Wallace was oh, yeah. a physical guy. If you can't take what the veterans are dishing out to you, and, and veterans, good veterans, they test rookies. Oh, they yeah. they got to make sure that, the, especially on a good team like like the Pistons, they got to make sure that they can count on you in the foxhole. I mean, uh, you know, to ex- excusing the kind of wartime imagery. Yeah. But they've got to make sure that they can count on you in those critical games. And, you know, again, from everything I've heard about Darko, not a bad guy. Honestly, not even a bad player. Still an extremely talented player, Mm -hmm. but I don't think he had the mental makeup, especially early on in his career when he's kind of still establishing his confidence to deal with Rasheed Wallace, to deal with Ben Wallace, to deal with the kind of physicality Mm -hmm. and and what the Pistons were really about. Um, And, you know, Carmelo Anthony might have been able to deal with that. He might have been able to dish it back. He might have been able to... To say, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can go right back at these guys, and, and certainly had the talent to do so. So I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I, I always say that I do think that Darko was the right pick. I don't know if Melo would have been everything Melo was, especially his rookie year if he played for those Pistons teams. But obviously Carmelo Anthony's a very talented player. Um, yeah. You know, he's, you know, he's a borderline Hall of Famer at at, at least. Um, he's he's he is he is. I mean, he's. I mean, a lot of players respect him. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason his name keeps popping up because, you know, his peers respect the hell out of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I do think I do think ultimately I do think that Carmelo long term and again, me being just the 04 Pistons guys and then we'll get off of this, but um I I do really think that that the character of that locker room would have helped Carmelo and made him a better long term player. But again, I just I don't see I don't envision Carmelo a a, a Pistons lifer. You know, I still yeah. think I, mean, I, still think and I think he plays out his yeah, rookie contract and goes to New York or something like that.
1: And I think Larry Brown is still like Larry Brown's part of the question that I would have about that. Because, you know, you go back to the 04 Olympic team that Larry Brown coached, he stuck with Iverson and Jefferson and and Marbury and and just lineups that weren't working. Well, LeBron, Wade, and Carmelo all sat on the bench waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, like they they were all rookies, they're all young they were on the team, but Brown never trusted them, even as things seemed to be going South with that group. And, 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 you know, again, Carmel Anthony is the most prolific U S Olympic basketball player. Um, at, at least since 92, since, since, since the, since the dream team, mm-hmm. um, he is, he is the most prolific international basketball player that the U S has really ever produced. Like he dominated on those teams because he was at that point willing to just be the shooter and be the score be the score when, when LeBron kicked out, um, Who's to say that he wouldn't have been able to provide a little bit of that on the international stage, but Brown didn't trust him. And Larry Brown, I think, has a long record of not trusting young players. You know, Look at Larry Brown's time as the coach of the New York Knicks. That team needed to be young. That team needed to rebuild and trust its young guys, and Brown wouldn't let those young guys off the bench. And so I think part of the problem with the kind of— I mean, again, Larry Brown trusted— it was Rick Carlisle that trusted a rookie, Tayshaun Prince— to, to guard Tracy McGrady in the 0-3 playoffs and, and help turn that series around. So Prince had himself established when Larry Brown came in. But Brown typically is very circumspect about young players. And certainly, oh, yeah. and I mean, the first thing that he looks for, especially with that Pistons team, was defense. If you play defense, you play. And Carmelo Anthony, not exactly known for his defense. Darko <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Milicic was extremely young. You know, he became better known for his defense. I mean, and you know, it, back back in Orlando, they, they, they gave away... As a, as a, as an arena giveaway, they gave out Darko Milicic flyswatter. So he had defensive potential in him, and Mark mm-hmm. Milicic is obviously a lot of potential uh, in his game. But you know, I, I don't think he had the mental makeup to 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 make an immediate impact and and, and to kind of stick with things and, and kind of trust the process. And you know, frankly, I think part of Darko's problems in Detroit was eventually he just got ignored. Um, you know, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. There wasn't an opportunity to steal him a few minutes and get him experience and kind of reward him for his work. Which, you know, again, we're all human. I, I think it's easy to forget when we're watching these games that these are human beings that have emotions that have, you know, their own egos and, and sometimes you know you got to give them a little bit of a bone to keep them engaged. And I think Darko very clearly became disengaged in Detroit. He came to Orlando. He had some bad habits, but the Magic played him. He played a lot. He played a lot better and showed that he did have a little bit of talent. And then. You know, he kind of yeah, you know, the magic, unfortunately, I think discarded him a little bit too in their pursuit of Richard Lewis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of O four Pistons talk. A lot of <laughs> Didn't great... expect that from me. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm really happy. As you can see, I'm I hate to even cut it off. I could I could talk to you for hours about game three alone when I watched that. But speaking of the Pistons, the Pistons rival back in the day, Michael Jordan played the Chicago Bulls. It's the best transition I got. His Last Dance documentary, episodes seven and eight. These last two episodes seem to be personal. They seem to be the most Jordan-centric of the documentary so far, detailing his father's passing, um, the struggles with baseball, just a lot of personal moments on here. What stood out to you in these two episodes?
1: Yeah, uh, so the last two episodes of The Last Dance, what, what really stood out to me um, were, were two things. Um, the first is Jordan was always seeking a way to motivate himself. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that, that I kept thinking about was how Jordan really had no equal. Um, you know, I think, you know, honestly, I mean, you can't rewrite history, obviously, but I think one thing that's missing and, and one thing that I've been a little bit frustrated about with the last dance is ever since they beat the Detroit Pistons, ever since they climbed that mountain and top, and took the Pistons off the top of the mountain, there's been no conflict um, yeah. you know, you know, I, 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 think that the '93 Suns were, if not the best team, the the second best team that the that the Bulls ever faced, and there is no real introduction to them. That '93 series was a really competitive and interesting series, um, between the Suns and the Bulls, and, and obviously the Bulls end up winning, and they win in six, and they the big shot by Jim Paxson. But there's really no buildup of the Suns to get us give us a sense of who they were beating. Um yeah. and again, there's a lot of information to get to this it's a 10-episode documentary already. You're not gonna be able to tell every story. But it feels like from the moment that the Bulls beat the Pistons and, mm-hmm. and won their championship, it's been essentially a no-conflict. Jordan's ascendance, Jordan's dominance is inevitable. And maybe that's to set up episode nine and ten, which deals with probably the two toughest series. That the Bulls played in this, and honestly, the six championship, six championship uh, games, championships that they won. Mm -hmm. Um, But it honestly feels like there's not much attention paid to the era and and to the people that Jordan beat. It it just he just beat them all. You know, Drexler was considered his equal. He considered that an insult, and he pounded Drexler into the ground. The Suns were there, then they weren't. Um, You know, Jordan gets bored. You know, not bored, but Jordan retires. He tries baseball, and and so to me. Episodes 7 and 8 were really about trying to find how Jordan motivates himself and and how Jordan tries to find ways to keep himself engaged when he's just so clearly better than, than everyone else. And certainly as someone who covers the Orlando Magic, and, and as a Magic fan, you know, the Magic being the last team to beat Jordan in a playoff series in 1995, and... You know, the Fox Sports Florida just re-aired all those games on their on their air, I watched the, or the four wins that the Magic had at least. And I watched them all, and I would agree, Jordan does not look right. Uh, he does not look like Michael Jordan. He definitely looks fatigued. He makes a lot of mistakes at the end of games, and the Magic go out and win the games. I mean, I, I kind of posed this question to some of my readers and asked, you know, did the Magic win that series or did the Bulls lose it? Because the Bulls make a lot of mistakes, and it isn't just Jordan, it's Scottie Pippen too. They make a mm-hmm. lot of mistakes in that series. And, and they. I don't think they had the better team. I think the Magic had the better team that year. Um, but if Jordan plays the entire season, I'm not confident the Magic win that series. Um, because Jordan is Michael Jordan. You can very clearly see that he is still, that, that Michael Jordan is still in there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but what I was disappointed in the documentary was the 1996 season was essentially revenge tour on the league. And, and yeah. that's true. Jordan lost in '95, got embarrassed. You know the steal in Game One, 14-0 run in Game Six. He made mistakes at the end of Game Three. Um, they got he got embarrassed in that '95 playoff series, and he took that slight and used it as motivation to take over the league in '96. And the payoff of that bit of the documentary was not about beating the team that wronged him. The '96, I mean, again, the '96 Eastern Conference Finals you know, again, narratively, isn't interesting because the Magic gets swept. You know, the, the Magic have their own documentary mm-hmm. explaining what happened on their end, but the Magic gets swept by, the, by Game 4. Horace Grant's out. Nick Anderson's out. So the Magic are down two starters by Game 4. Um, you know, Grant got hurt in Game 1, actually. Um, but there is a really good narrative piece there in Game 2 when the Magic were up by 18 in the 96 Eastern Conference Finals and the Bulls came back and wanted to take a 2-0 series lead heading back to Orlando. And then they, again, they swept the series. Um, But even then, like the Seattle Supersonics, they're they're built up a little bit more. Um, But to me, the the narrative, I mean, again, I'm speaking of this as a Magic fan. So if I come off as a homer, I I probably am being a little bit of a homer. Um, But to me, the narrative pull of that season was not necessarily winning the championship, which again, you get that great moment at the end of episode eight, or episode uh, eight, which I think is the most powerful moment of the whole the whole night and, and really part of the whole documentary where Jordan is on the floor weeping oh, yeah. after winning his first championship after his dad dies. But and that's, and that Sonic series was a little more competitive than people probably remember it. But to me that the, the, the pull of that that season was was beating the magic, which they did. And so again, they seem to be rushing through a lot of these opponents in, in, yeah. in the in the mid 90s um, after Jordan wins that first title and making it feel like there is no compare to Jordan. And Jordan just has to self-motivate motivate, uh, to, to get back to this championship level. And that's really what he's chasing is, how do I motivate myself to to dominate when there's no equal? And to me, that's something that that sticks out to me is, you know, LeBron had to deal with Curry. He had to deal with Duncan. You know, there are yeah. these epic—I mean, there, throughout NBA history, isn't just this isn't just to make a LeBron MJ comparison. Magic had Bird, and they battled for for championships throughout the eighties. Russell had Wilt, um, you know. LeBron mm-hmm. had LeBron had Duncan. LeBron had Curry. They've bat, they battled for championships throughout their entire decades. Jordan had no equal, and, and I yeah. think that's what really stands out to me at this point is, narratively, there isn't a lot of con- conflict because the result is inevitable. Jordan is unbeatable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's the part that has really kind of swayed me um, in that whole LeBron discussion not to have that, but that's the thing that this documentary has really imposed is just the, the, uh, the just, how do you be, he's just the unbeatable force, you know, he's the, he's the immovable object, he's whatever analogy you want to use, and I think that what you're speaking on when it comes to when it comes to them kind of just breezing through a lot of these because I felt that way with the Suns. I'm looking at some of the scores when they recap the game and it's like, wait, that was only an eight point game. We we have no no conversation about that whatsoever. Like that seems pretty close. I mean, and, even
1: I mean, I would even go back to the Blazers series. That yeah. is still a six game series. And, yeah. and you look at the score. The Bulls only win game six by like four or five points by like six points. And. I mean, the narrative of that series is absolutely 100% correct. Mm -hmm. Jordan wanted to embarrass Drexler. He wanted to prove that he was much better than Drexler. And uh, I believe it was written in Jackie McMullen's book about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson that during the Dream Team, Jordan kept going after Drexler. And Magic Johnson had to go to Jordan and say, hey, we're going to need Drexler in this tournament. You need to lay off him. Like, that's... Like, like that that's how like ser- and I was kind of surprised they didn't tell that story in in the documentary but yeah um but but you know that was very much the narrative of that series was Jordan versus Drexler who's who's actually better um you know because they were essentially contemporaries Drexler was drafted a year ahead of him mm-hmm. um but that series wasn't the foregone conclusion and the blowout that again the documentary made it sound like yeah. it was still a six game series and I don't care if if, if it's a six game series that ends in a blowout that's one game away from a game Boom. seven. It, yeah. it, you still got beat twice. I mean, the yeah. Sonics, you know, I, de- I mean, I'm I'm doing a little study on the Sonics right now, too, right now for, for something that I'm writing about the Magic. You know, that Sonics team went down 3-0, and you could very realistically say that, yeah, George Carl's decision not to have Gary Payton guard Michael Jordan prevented that from really being a really interesting and tight series instead of the Sonics scrambling to get that to six.
0: Yeah yeah and i think that's what what it comes down to in this documentary is that it is this last couple episodes seven eight and then even the ones before that five and six once jordan started to win um you know you're right i feel like that's when that's when i felt the most jordan control of the of the narrative and i think I think it's partially true I think it is I think it is pretty true that you know Jordan was just this level above and that some of the but that some of these games are just foregone conclusions because Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan and you know he just couldn't be beaten and that's the the one thing you can say about LeBron as great as he is he can be beaten and so I, I get that that's like what they're trying to emphasize and I believe that that's even true to an extent but I just look at some of these games, and I just I feel like it can't be all that. Like there, there, there had to have been more to these games because there's a lot of six-point games, a lot of eight-point games, a lot of four-point games throughout the finals, throughout the the Eastern Conference Finals, throughout the, this whole six-year run of, of of titles or eight six titles in eight years. So I felt like that was very much. Um, very much a narrative shifting uh or narrative control thing on jordan's part because i know he's obviously very involved in this documentary production wise so I... I felt like i felt like with this that that was a prime example of that and that was really the only example so far that stood out to me it's it seemed to pro- so far, it's always felt so. Uh, it's always felt so, so, so real for the most part. Other than the stuff with Jerry Reinsdorf, everything else has felt truly authentic. This was the first thing that I felt was kind of like, Jor- This is how this is Jordan's view of this. This is Jordan's well, view of it. You know.
1: I mean, I'll, I'm gonna I'll play both sides. Both sides here. I mean, I, 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 I agree that I think that they're they're giving short shrift to the the teams of his era. Um, you know. The Knicks. I mean, again, every team that that he faces gets a little bit of introduction, a little bit of buildup to make you think like, oh, you know, this was this was a pretty good team, and then Jordan just disposes of them fairly easily, and it sort of serves mm-hmm. the narrative. Um, you know, I do think that, you know, uh, like Bomani Jones is is doing a really interesting series on the teams that the Bulls essentially blocked from winning. Um, you know, he's I think yeah. he's done the the late '80s, early '90s Cavs with Mark Price and Craig ELO and oh, yeah. Larry Nance and Brad Doherty. He's done the Knicks, you know, Ewing, Starks, Mason, uh, Oakley, all those guys. Um, he's done the Jazz, Malone, Stockton. And, and I'm sure he's going to hit on a bunch of more teams, including My Magic, including the Pacers. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of teams, a lot of legitimately good teams that, that Jordan prevented from winning championships. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that is certainly part. I mean, I, I think that that is something that is being left out and is not being emphasized, especially with all the old heads who say that basketball was better in the 90s. If you're a 2010s kid and you're watching this series to get your your uh, vision of what 90s basketball was like, you're probably thinking all these teams are scrubs. Jordan just yeah. disposed of them like they're nothing. Um, and, and 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 I, I I'm gonna be cri- I, I'm critical I will be critical of the documentary for that purpose because I do think that these teams are better than that. And I've heard some people suggest that there should be a little documentary series on all the teams and all the players that Jordan prevented from winning, but. I also think that is also their fault. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm again. I'm kind of looking into this a little bit more. Jordan, but from, from like, from the, the throughout the '90s, in in fact, Jordan only played three teams twice in a series. He played the Jazz twice, obviously in the '97 '98 Finals, the Magic in the '95 and '96 uh, playoffs. The Heat, he played in the 90s 96 first round and the 97 Eastern Conference Finals. So that would be the Alonzo Morning Tim Hardaway Heat. Um, and those are the only and those are the only three teams he played twice in a playoff series. Uh the the New York Knicks, they played in ninety-three, and then the Knicks beat him in ninety-four, but without Jordan. Right. Um, and so to me, there there are these little mini rivalries, or you think there are these little mini rivalries, but they're not sustained over time. And so the issue with this kind of narrative. The reason why there's no foil for Jordan is because there was literally no foil for Jordan. No mm-hmm. team reached kind of the level of consistent excellence to stay with the Bulls. Um, you know, uh, you th- think of it. I mean, the Knicks were always there, but they never played the Bulls in the big moments. The Pacers only played them once in '98. Um, the the Magic. I, I, I mean, honestly, I argue. I argued this, and and I do believe. I actually do believe this. The Magic were probably the greatest threat that the Bulls ever faced. They beat him in 95. They play him in 96, but they're hurt, and the Bulls are really, really good. And that was just a humbling moment for a young team. And then all of a sudden, the Magic are done. Shaq is yeah. off to L.A. If, if Shaq stays in, in Orlando for 97, now you've got what is a very— I mean, if you're watching this documentary, a very clearly kind of tired and exhausted Bulls team yes. um, in 98. Are, I mean, they're, they're by ninety eight, they and they're yeah. they're 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 very good ninety seven too. But yeah. you know, winning championships takes toll takes a toll out of you, and now you've got maybe a more motivated and focused Magic team because the Magic definitely suffered some problem of more issues in ninety six. Um, you've got a, maybe a much more focused focused Magic team coming back in ninety seven for a rubber match in the Eastern Conference Finals, and now all of a sudden you have a true rivalry. Um, I would honestly put the Sonics in that boat too because they were also a fairly young team. You know, with uh, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton were drafted in 1991. So, you know, they're a little bit younger than Jordan. They they finally have their breakthrough in in 96. And then all of a sudden, they kind of break up because they can't get through the gauntlet of the West. They can't get past the Rockets all the time. They can't get past the Jazz. Um, You know, the Sonics just... they, They just couldn't get over themselves in the playoffs except for that one year in 96. And so really it's as much the fault of everyone else that there was no equal to Jordan because no one else could get themselves mm-hmm. together long enough to really compete with Jordan. The other point I want to make, and I think that this is something that I think a lot of us have lost focus on in this documentary, which, again, I don't think the documentary helped itself on in this manner. Um, you know, because it's trying to be a documentary about Jordan and about the Bulls using the 98 season as its vehicle to tell that story, this is still a story about the 98 season. Yeah. And so I think what the documentary is trying to say in doing all this is, and again, we'll see what happens this weekend um, or in the, in the final two episodes. What I think the documentary is trying to say is, you know, the Bulls kind of ran through the Eastern Conference and then at this moment, at the moment where they were about to win their second they they're about to win their sixth championship, they faced the toughest challenge that they've ever faced. You know there are all these little challenges here and there, and then all of a sudden they run into the Indiana Pacers team, which Reggie Miller says he still believes to this day we're the better team, and they played an extremely close seven-game series. I remember watching that seven-game series; it was close all the way through. Game seven was tense and tight all the way through, as we're going to see in episode nine. And the Jazz were no pushover either in a six-game series uh, in the '98 finals. So I think I think you know I think maybe we're being a little bit unfair because this is supposed to be a documentary about the 98 season and the 98 season saw the bulls go up against their toughest competition. So I think it's, I think skipping through a lot of these mid nineties teams is meant to be a contrast to this final challenge the bulls had to face. Mm -hmm. So we'll see, we'll see how that's portrayed. I mean, that, that, that's, that's my, that's my devil's advocate here.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think that's, I think that's a fair point. Um, I think that, I think that it will, even if that wasn't their intention, that or even if that's truly how how they look at it it's going to just by just by default build up the indiana pacers right just because of how quickly it's uh, it, it's breezed over all those other years and the thing that i keep flashing back to as we're having this conversation is that you know i never was one of those guys that really thought deep about like you know or got into the conspiracies of jordan retiring i always just attributed it to he was he was exhausted he had a lot going on in his life but one of the things that he said in the documentary and that um that other people have said is that jordan felt like he had no equal and i and again you're you're this is something that he said in the documentary and it is reflected through the uh, through the documentary itself as well. So I think that so I think that that more so than anything, really, um, really just bolstered my belief that you know this is it, it really was that it was a big factor for Jordan was that he was always looking for little motivation. He was looking for for anything like you know the the story about the Wizards player that he made up was unbelievable i mean that's jordan that's such a just a a high level of self-motivation that's just you know the fact that you're willing to lie and make up this whole story just a even though you know in your own head it's a lie but it gets you motivated to just crush this player is absolutely unbelievable i mean that's a that's a competitive nature that's just unparalleled so i i do think that there there's there's real credence to that, and that Jordan won three straight titles, something that Magic or Bird never did. He's not. He's in this. He's in this rarefied air that just has not been has not been seen since the '60s. And he's and he's just sitting there and looking and thinking. You know, I really don't have that much competition here. I I think I'm by far and away the best. I think I'm the almighty, the the inevitable, and you know, that plus, obviously, the big factor of everything that happened with this father, um, I think really led to his departure. And I I really do. I really do think that 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 is uh, that has been more hammered home to me than ever before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that's really spot on. I mean, I think if you're if you're on that level, you know, you can't always rely on there being a rival, you got to find something to motivate you. I mean, I think, The the, the example that I can think of is is, um, I I think a lot of people, when they watched Vince Carter, um, because, I mean, if you've watched Vince Carter long enough, you know how incredibly talented he is. You know how athletic he was uh, in his prime. Uh, The the kind of knock on Vince Carter was shooting and scoring was just so easy for him. He had to find ways to make it interesting. And so he would take these wild and crazy shots. I mean, when he was in Orlando, after, like, if there's a foul call, then he had the ball, he'd shoot a jumper left-handed just to do it. Um, yeah. You know, like he 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 do stuff like that all the to- all the time, even in Orlando. And you know, Vince. I don't think Vince Carter necessarily had the same makeup as Jordan. Obviously, he didn't win like Jordan, even though he had so much talent. Um, you know, some guys just aren't wired that way. But mm-hmm. everyone, I mean, and this goes not just for basketball, this goes for everything. Everyone has to find something to motivate themselves and push themselves to to do better. At the at the end of the day. You might have a rival. You might have a goal you want to achieve, but it's ultimately on you to achieve yep. that. I mean, again, that's, that's something I think Jordan tries to get at in the documentary. It's like, look, I might be an a-hole. I might be a tyrant. I might be a little bit of a bully, but I'm doing it because I'm trying to get you to come with me when the time comes. I need you to have confidence in yourself, to believe that we're all in this together, that I'm pushing you to get, to get there. And if you're not willing to come with me, you know that 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 line that that line you had at the end of episode seven really stuck with me. If, if you're not really willing to come with me, that's how I play. And, and if you're not going to be able to play that way, then you gotta you gotta get out. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna be on the boat when when we when we lift the trophy at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that that's very well said, and I think that again, it's just it's just really amazing to see somebody with that level of of drive of, for excellence. So. I really I really do admire it. I'm looking forward to where it goes next. I thought we I thought we had a lot of great moments in these last couple episodes. You know, the um David Stern, you know, answering the question about the secret suspension with Michael Jordan. Love the part where he laughed at Gary Payton. Um there was obviously the emotional parts with his father and everything. So these episodes were my two favorite and also because they were the most Jordan centric, but um let's step away from the last dance and let's get back to the sequel to this podcast that this podcast is i should say and that is about the coronavirus impacting the nba now you were on the podcast uh, and it has been 54 days if my math is correct since the last game of nba basketball was played now you and I both. I re-listened to the episode. We're both optimistic that there was a there was a return. Um, maybe maybe more hopeful than optimistic. I guess at that point. Uh, but I, I really have had a strong feeling that the NBA is coming back, and now we're in a space where the Board of Governors feel a sense of uh, a momentum to return the. And NBA PA has been officially or unofficially polling players asking their preference, but it seems like all the players want to come back right now. They're brainstorming between one and two bubble locations like Orlando, Vegas, and other cities have inquired. We don't know any other cities at this time. And the biggest thing that happened is we are two to four weeks away from a decision. So Philip, I know that there was that there was that probably three week period beginning of April to to mid-April something like that where it just it it seemed very doom and gloom right when we were in the heat of coronavirus it was impossible to think of NBA basketball but um you know now now we're in this position where I've always been optimistic but I feel like the optimism starting to starting to come back starting to freshen up um are you there where are you at with the NBA what's been your course in this like I think you know what is it like six weeks since we've haven't had NBA basketball.
1: It's, it's been a while. It's been, uh, it's been almost eight weeks. I think it's been two oh, yeah, months. I mean, weeks, yeah. um, I, you know, I think I, I'm still an optimist. I, you know, I, I'm i I'm a realist in this sense. The NBA needs to finish the season um, because mm-hmm. they lost a lot of money in China and China still not going to air their games when they come back. And the playoffs are ultimately where they make money, where they make their money. It's where the advertising dollars get spent. Um, it, the playoffs are vitally important to them. The players know it. The owners know it. And so I think there's, you know, at, at, the, at the very least, there is an understanding between both players and owners. We need to finish this season some way, somehow. Uh, just, just you know, kind of get us to the finish line. We're so close. We have to push back to start of next season. You know, we can experiment with that a little bit. Um, you know, but, you know, we got to mitigate our losses financially here because, you know, if they can't play a season now Expecting him to be able to play a season in October is going to be just as difficult, um, you know, because, you know, if, if things aren't better enough that you can play in July and August, well, you know, what's, what's going to be different, you know, two months later. I mean, again, you know, things, things seem to be heading in a better direction and, and, and that's good, but, you know, I think the NBA is, is rightfully cautious, but eager to get back on the court. But, you know, again, the NBA, I think has such a great relationship between the, the NBA, between Commissioner Adam Silver uh, and the players and the players' association, that I think that they're working collaboratively to get back onto 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 the court and get back to to finish some, the season in some way. And everyone's very motivated to do it. So I'm optimistic in that sense. Um, you know, I'm optimistic too in that I think that the NBA is not in any rush to make any decisions. Um, I don't feel like the NBA um, is going to do something brash. Or or do something too quickly. I, I think that they, they are they, they're obviously a very data driven league. Um, you know, just by all the talks of analytics and uh, in, in how people evaluate the game. So I do think that they're they're not going to make a decision because you know we just have to play. We just have to go out there. They're not they're not going to be one to say, well, we're going to play because it's America and we play these games. That's not what right. they're going to do. I mean, there are, there are certainly some leagues that have signaled, you know, UFC is essential. Yeah. That's essentially what UFC is saying, and UFC's right. And I think we all know where where Dana White stands on on a lot of those on a lot of those issues. But the mm-hmm. the NBA, I think, is is going to wait and make sure that everything is in place for them to play. Um, you know, that they have the testing regime and the testing available to make sure everyone's safe and healthy. Um, you know, I don't think the players want to play unless they can be assured that they're not going to catch this season. Because while most of the players um, are of the age or of the physical condition that they won't die from this disease. You just you just don't know. Um, you know this is a very clearly deadly disease um, that that you know that can really hurt people. And and certainly and and more importantly, you know even if they don't have symptoms of the disease, they could carry it home to someone in their house or in their community that does. And and so I think the NBA is right to be very very cautious and say. We can't do. We can't. We can't play games in any capacity, unless X, Y, and Z happen. And, and you know they don't have to make that known publicly, but they have to know that internally, and they have to make sure that if you know they, they they share that with the players, they let the players know where they're at, and then that and then when they and then prove that they've hit those benchmarks before, they can assure that everyone plays. Um. And so I think I, I trust that the NBA is going to make make that decision now. Where are we in the course of doing that? You know. I, I am not sold that players want to do the bubble idea. As as much fun as would it be have everyone in town for Dis- at Disney, um I I, no. I don't think players want to do the bubble idea. And so No, I don't think so. Either. My I mean, I think that's probably ultimately where they end up. Um yeah. I, I do think that that's ultimately going to be the solution is, you know, everyone comes in, you know, maybe Nobody
0: goes out. <laughs> nobody
1: goes out, you know, every you know, they 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 set it up and 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 you know, again, as long as the players approve of it, it it it, it can happen. I, I still get the sense that the way this is going to end up is either they'll set up central locations to finish the regular season. You know, you know, everyone gathers, you know, East. I've heard the proposal that everyone in the East gathers at Disney. Everyone in the West gathers in Vegas. Maybe you do it even more regionalized than that. You play five, six, seven games, you know, do kind of round robin. Everyone gets their games in to finish the season in a bubble for a week, two weeks, something like that. And then you send everyone home and you travel for the playoffs. And yeah. you really just kind of quarantine and keep everyone kind of together uh, you know, in, travel, in the traveling party uh, for the playoffs. Because you know, you're not having fans in the stands. And I, I, honestly, I don't think they can do any better than saying, you're going on a private plane, you're going in a hotel, you're going into the practice facility. Those, yeah. All three of those places should be fairly cordoned off from the rest of the world. Um, you know, yeah. again, the only thing that might not be is at home. So maybe the home team has to stay in a hotel during during a two-week playoff or, or during during playoff games.
0: Um, yeah, like an NBA-sanctioned hotel. Yeah, exa- like exactly. That, and, and
1: and I just get the sense that that's, that's probably the best way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we're there where we, we're comfortable doing that. And I don't know when we're going to get there. And And I think that's ultimately the question. And, you know, I think we've learned a lot about this disease to say, that a lot can happen, and you know some of it is going to be governmental policy telling us which direction things head, and, and just how much better and how much healthier our society is to to kind of handle the the crush of doing this, of, of trying yeah. to play games like this, and trying to have a normal life. Um, we're just we're not there yet, and, it, and it's really really hard to predict when we're going to get there. You know, again, I, I I don't like being political. I don't want you know we're sports podcast, we're talking sports. I shouldn't have, you know. I I don't want to 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 dive into politics that much, but the decisions that come from Washington are going to really determine when we can get back to sports and when we can get back to sports safely. And you know, frankly, I don't. I'm 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 not as a citizen of the United States. I'm not happy with how how our federal government has handled this, and I'm not confident that they're going to get us into into a position where we will have sports in, in the near future or have sports in a way. That is fully safe for the athletes and for the participants.
0: Yeah, you know i i tend to I tend to agree with you. Um, I'm. I just maybe it's because I'm not the most well first political person. I told you. I told you this um, before. So when it comes to when it comes to this, I am almost ignorant on on the on the political side of it. But I'm just a naturally optimistic person. So i I think that I think that the the nba will find the right way to do this i have a lot of faith in adam silver i think he's highly intelligent i think he's highly creative um i think he's he's got a he he's got a um a very unique ability to uh, of of um trying to experiment or being willing to experiment and, you know, just tinker and do things that are maybe not necessary be or maybe not um, not necessary. I, I should I should say um, do things that aren't exactly that aren't exactly the easy choice or the most or the most uh, conventional choice. And so I think that that bodes well for, you know, the time that we're that we're in. And I do think that ultimately it is going to come down to, like you said, the bubble situation. I just I don't see another way where where it does uh where we get basketball without without that i don't see a way in where each team gets to play at their home arena for the you know for the regular seasons or for the playoffs or whatever um the regular season is a whole nother discussion and then there's all all sorts of discussions like okay if we if we push back the season uh, next season to december then what does that look like are we still fitting in 82 games because these owners are going to want to make up on revenue are we spacing out the calendar and going to from december till um till you know august or what are we what are we doing here so i think that there's a lot of just um there's a lot of stuff that's in the air and that's why i haven't been recording about the coronavirus update because you know truthfully it's so much up in the air but ultimately where i'm at right now is i do feel like the NBA is going to get there. I trust the powers that are in position when it comes to the NBA. And I think that, I think that the NBA has, has made it clear that they're going to operate what they believe is best. And they're going to, you know, obviously governmental politics are always going to play a role. Cause that's, you know, where the, where the United States, like the government is a part of sports, whether, whether we like it or not. So, I, I think there will be influence, but Adam Silver has made it very clear from the jump that he is going to do what he believes is best for the league, and I very much trust Adam Silver. So I think we're going to get a conclusion. I think the players want to play. I think everybody wants this to happen. Um, the players, again, I don't, I'm don't. i with you. I don't think that they're ideal... They're, that the bubble scenario is their ideal scenario, but I think that eventually they're going to, they're going to get there if they're not already there behind the scenes. Again, we don't know. We don't know a lot right now, but I I just, I really think we're going to get it back. And to me, the question is if we get a decision in two to four weeks about the season, um, are we getting we have about 16 to 17 regular season games left for most teams uh, some as little as 14 so my question to you and this comes you know just one out of curiosity but two out of out of you know personal bias because i have a fantasy league that i'm very invested in that's about to enter the playoffs uh, how many games of the regular season do you think we're getting? Or do you think we're getting any regular season games? Like, where, where are you at on the regular season part of it? Because I don't hear a word on that yet. And I don't think there is a word. So I,
1: I think I think the league knows that playoff games are of a different intensity. And you can practice all you want, but you can't wrap, ramp up to playoff intensity right off the bat. Um, yeah, I don't think they will go straight to the playoffs. I, I, I think... It's very possible maybe that they cut out the first round, that they go to, you know, top four teams in each conference, make the playoffs or, or something like that, which, you know, may or may not be fair. But, you know, this is, this is going to be an unfair season. I mean, I, I, I disagree yeah. with Shaq that they should scrap the season because there'll be an asterisk around the champion. At this point, it doesn't matter. If you, if, if you want to put an asterisk on this year's champion, you're going to put it on there anyway. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think every team is dealing with the situation and, and whatever. I mean, this is always going to be a story we tell about the season. Um, but you yeah. can't just go straight into playoffs. Um, it's just impossible and not healthy to be frank. Cause I, we know the NBA is very serious about health because another issue yes. that has to be negotiated is, well, are you going to be able to play three night, three games in four nights? Are you going to be able to play, you know, two back-to-back game? Are you going to have back-to-back playoff games? I think that's inevitable. Um, you're, are you going to be able to do X, Y, and Z to, to to get the season in, in the limited calendar that you have? Um, but I do think that we will see um at least 5 regular season games to close the yeah. season from each team if not up to 10. Um you know again that's going to depend on how quickly they come back and and the calendar and and everything else but the league does not want to throw teams back into high pressure situations cuz that's where mm. injuries happen. That's where guys get hurt when they're not able to kind of get their muscles moving at the at the level and at the intensity that they need them to move at in critical games, and so, you know, they're going to ramp up to a regular season. There'll be at least a two, maybe three-week training camp for everyone to get back to speed, and then there's got to be at least another two weeks of games to get everyone back into kind of playing rhythm and game rhythm to get to to get ready for the playoffs. Um, yeah. I I don't think you can just jump right into playoffs here. I I think that would be unfair to everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree that logically um that you, you should try to fit in as much of the regular season as possible just because I, I again there is a huge difference in playoff intensity and regular season intensity and we're seeing that um we're seeing that divide more and more each year. You know, you're looking at teams like the Rockets and um the Thunder of recent years that were that were highly successful in the regular season, but then the playoffs or style didn't work. Or you know, vice versa. There, there's other teams that weren't good in the regular season but worked in the playoffs. And so I, I think' you're, there's just a different there's just a major difference in style of play and in intensity and in everything when it comes to the playoffs. And I think another reason you want those regular season games is not only do you want teams as fresh as possible, but if you're Adam Silver, you don't want the Pelicans to upset the upset the Lakers in the first round. Like you don't, you don't want the Lakers to not be ready, and you know, and they lose in the first round. I mean, granted, it would be, it would still be pretty great because you know Zion's Zion's a a, a ESPN rating magnet. The the NBA needs LeBron
1: to make a deep playoff run again. They they certainly hurt last year without LeBron in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. And so I think so I think that that's a big part too is like you just don't want you don't want Milwaukee losing in the first round to oh uh, we Orlando. definitely we definitely
1: want Milwaukee losing in the first round if the standings stay as well. My I bad.
0: My bad. No. We definitely want
1: yeah. that to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, listen. Now that the Pistons are nowhere near playoff contention, you have my full support, the Orlando Magic. Listen, I, I want it, I want a deep championship run from the Orlando Magic. The most hey, if this is overrun. if this
1: is how we have to do it, because you know the last time, yeah. the only time an H-C made the made the NBA Finals was the lockout year in '99. This is how we have to do it. I'll take your asterisk and I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll smoke I'll smoke it I'll smoke the cigar with the with the Obi.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. However, however you get it, any means necessary, any means necessary. But yeah, I think I I do think that when it comes down to it, that these teams. Are you know? Or the the league has a vest has obviously a vested interest. They don't want to see you know two of their two of their top teams. They really want the LA-LA series. They really want that. They would be they would be heartbroken and fans would too if uh, if that series doesn't happen. So there's certain things that the NBA wants and the NBA doesn't want to. Not only is it is it fair to just give everybody as much time as possible to prep, but the also there's the underlying motive that you know the nba doesn't want to the nba doesn't want to come back to a uh to a let's see like a miami pelicans finals you know like
1: (laughs) i mean there needs to be some legitimacy to to the championship like i agree like i mean forever there's nothing anyone can do about it everyone's going to note that yes there was a two and a half three month three month four month gap between One point in the season and another point in the season. This is always, 2020 will always be the coronavirus season and there's nothing anyone can do about it. 2021 will always probably be a shortened season because of the coronavirus. These two seasons are always going to have this historical context to it.
0: And it's always going to hurt one team and help another. Exactly. Like, there's always there's always going to be you know as as much as you try to be fair and try to make The it Spurs fair, the for Spurs had to win another work.
1: title because '99 was was not viewed as legitimate by a lot of people and they did and yeah. now honestly yes people will note that the first title may have come in a weird season but the Spurs are considered the dynasty of the de- of the decade essentially mm-hmm. um the, because they went out and won more titles so you know LeBron won his first title in 2012 but no one mentions. That that was a lockout shortened season because he went out and won more titles. So yeah, you know if if the Lakers win this title or the Bucks win this title, everyone's going to say, "Well, go out and win it again." You know, and and if they win it again, then no one's going to mention that it came in a lockout shortened or it came in some type of weird shortened season. No one's going to care at that point because history, you know, history will always tell that part of the story, but it's not going to matter because that was backed up by by something else by another by another title. Um, yeah. You know. So yes. You know. You. I, I, I'm. I'm always cognizant, and, and I'm always. You know, especially as a team, as someone who covers a team and as a fan of a team that's fighting for their playoff spot. And the Magic have a five and a half game lead on the Wizards with 17 games to play. So it's it's pretty certain that they were going to finish with the eighth seed at the very least. That they were going to make the playoffs. I, I do think that it is important that whatever the NBA does, if the NBA decides to do some type of play-in tournament that they have to make sure that the standings are respected, that the first 65 games matter, matter, uh, still matter. Um, Because if you do just a yeah. straight play-in tournament or if you have everyone qualify for play-in tournament for the final seeds in the playoffs, then all of a sudden you get some really screwy results. No one wants to see the Cavs yeah. in the in the playoffs. I'm sorry. Cavs, Blake Griffin's Cavs, knee Cavs is healthy. healthy. Blake Griffin's let's, knee is let's healthy. Let's get it. I mean, let's the, Pistons, get it. The, Pistons, the Pistons could make a little bit of a run because Blake Griffin's a hell of a <laughs> player. Um, You, you don't want to see... You don't want to see something that feels really illegitimate. And yes,
0: like 100%. the Magic
1: making the finals. I love the Magic. I, I think that, I think they're better than a lot of people give them credit for. They've had a really rough season with injuries. Oh, yeah. They are not a title team. I, 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 honestly, the goal this year is, again, to get a game in the playoffs. If we can get a game, force a game five. If it can be a home game now, if we could. I mean, obviously, the fans won't be there. But to, to win a game at home in front of the fans was kind of the goal this time around. And then they can figure out how to advance themselves for, further in the off season. Um, it you don't want results that feel like inauthentic. So I, I agree. Yeah. Like I want to see the Lakers. I want to see the Clippers. I want to see the Bucks. You know, I want I want to see those teams. That, you know, that have fought all year and have put themselves in the best position to win a championship. I want to see them get their crack at a championship. Even if history will ultimately say, well, there was this thing that happened. Well, yeah, but everyone had to deal with it. Just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just them. It wasn't just this team. They still had to get, go through the process, go through the playoffs and win their championship. And, and, and I think, I, I think, I think if if that happens, then the season will still be viewed as, as, as at least somewhat legitimate as the result being legitimate, if not the process.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that this is something that we're going to look back again, it's going to have an asterisk, but again, it, the, the surrounding years are really what's going to matter you know, the, the year before this year, it's going like if Milwaukee, if Milwaukee wins, you know, this year, that also in that narrative is going to be the year before when they lost to Toronto. And, and it's going, that's going to be looked back on as, wow, that was when Giannis got it to get, that was when Giannis, um, that offseason is when Giannis got it together and that that experience set them up to win the championship next year and the next year after that or whatever. So the surrounding years are always going to be narratives. But, you know, I, I think that a, a, a reason why this season should continue to ha- or should happen if it's if it's, you know, if it's safe, if it's possible is because you know this isn't the first time that a season's going to have an asterisk like you just mentioned it with um with with the with the 99 season you know um again that some people can say the 2012 season but again like you said the the other championship kind of helps erase erase that and the fact that they were also in the finals the year before that so there's a lot to there's a lot to go on with with um with these narratives but I think that I think that the NBA looks at it from, from a when we look at it from a historical perspective yes this will be looked at as an asterisk but the NBA truth be told has had asterisks before and it is what it is it's part of sports the NBA the one thing that they have had is they have always finished a season every year has had a champion and I don't think that they don't I, I don't think that they want this year to be the first year where that doesn't happen
1: yeah, for sure, and and again, like to that point too. Um, there's always variances in seasons. Um, you know, like I think about the 2009 Magic a lot. If Kevin Garnett is healthy for the 2009 playoffs, there's no way the Magic beat the Celtics in 2009 and go to the finals. Um, the Celtics honestly probably would get to the finals, and and you know very well could have beaten the Lakers in '09 if Garnett's healthy. But Garnett wasn't healthy. You know, people, no one views the Lakers championship in 09 as some asterisk because they didn't face the Celtics or because the, their, their prime opponent, their prime com- competition lost or, or, or didn't have their best player or one of their better players or one of the more important players for the playoffs. And, you know, again, and then the Magic beat LeBron and, and all that. And all that, no one views that title any differently. I mean, the Celtics in 86, the 86 Celtics are considered probably the best Celtics team of all time. If not, sometimes some people consider it the best NBA team of all time too. They never faced the Lakers. The Lakers lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Houston Rockets. The, that Celtics team had to beat the Rockets. Um, and so, you know, it, there are stories like that throughout NBA history where there are just these little variances where, you know, the team that maybe everyone thought was the best team didn't make it all the way to the finals, didn't make it all the way to the championship. And a lot of it's forgotten history. Ultimately, only, only, uh, the only thing any, anyone remembers is the winner
0: yeah and i think that's a beautiful way to put a bow on this conversation because when it comes down to it sports is a reflection of life you know nothing really happens uh the way you think it does you know whether it be whether it be you know personal stuff or whether it um or whether it just be you know your goals and your plans and your ambition the way life just happens differently and things you look back at things and things can always sway one way or another And situations always uh, help one one thing and then hurt another thing and, you know, and change. And there's all sorts of things that just that's what makes sports great is that we can put this narrative to it, that it has this feeling of real life, because otherwise we could have simulated it on 2K, you know, uh, 54 days ago and and crowned a champion. And as and as accurate as you want 2k to be and as accurate as much as I love 2k you know at the end of the day sports are real life you never know when a, an a rolled ankle can happen or a or just a unbelievable hot streak right like Fred van Fleet last year in the playoffs just this is what makes sports great this is what makes uh what what really just makes it makes it all all worthwhile when we watch it so I think that your situation or your last statement actually is a is a perfect way to put a bow on this podcast because man when it comes down to it man it's sports our life and we don't know where this is going we don't know what's going to happen next with the NBA right now uh we just know that there's significant push that the NBA season is upon us and we're both hopeful for basketball so i'm hoping that i'm hoping that you know we we get some basketball man and i'm hoping that we get a 2020 champion however we get it
1: for sure for sure and i mean I'm, I'm hopeful that i'm hopeful that we will i'm still optimistic that we will see some type of conclusion to the season but uh, you know it's it's still it still feels very far away it, you know good news yeah. good it's good seeing guys back in the, in the practice facility
0: yeah it's good and you know these little baby steps of just watching people shoot around and stuff uh really just shows me how much i love basketball just re. It just reconfirms my love for it because, you know, the how excited I get at watching a grown man shoot basketball in an empty gym just really just, <laughs> it just shows you how bad you want basketball to come back. But um, thank you, Phil, for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate it. As always, I love the work you do. I hope you enjoy your quarantine. I hope you and your entire family stay safe during these times, your friends as well and um we're going to be we're going to be talking soon and uh good luck to you on your 2K endeavors because I know you play my team just like me so um <laughs> I know I know that you're playing that as well so wish you luck on that wish you luck with uh, everything as we as we deal with these times man keep your head up because it's we're going to get through it
1: yep absolutely uh, same same to you as well get get I'm getting through that all-time domination I'm going to get that Sean Kemp card so I'm, I'm very excited
0: Oh man, that's Sean Kemp card. You got to do the. You got to do the spotlight, man, for, that, I, for I the am, Kobe.
1: I am. I am working my way through the spotlights. I did the. Uh, I did a Jason Kidd spotlight today, so you know I'm, I'm trying to collect all those cards. I, I'm. I'm still missing that gold Udonis Haslam, so I can start working on the Dwayne Wade spotlights.
0: Man, you know you know where you can get this and and then and then we'll cut off the podcast. I, I know this is kind of I don't want to get to a whole two K conversation, but you can get that Eudonis Haslam and triple threat because they still give those Dwayne Wade packs okay. in there. Okay. That's he's, the key. Triple threat he is, online.
1: He is the last he is the last card I need in that collection too. And so it's like twenty tokens plus I can finish the Dwayne Wade's.
0: Yeah yeah man you got to so yeah triple threat online is the way to do it it's in some of the pack drops
1: okay Uh, i'll 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 take that under advisement
0: (laughs) all right philip man enjoy enjoy your time thank you for coming on the podcast man and again just uh just you know all the best to you and yours during during this time
1: absolutely man thank you very much
0: all right have a good one yep you too